Hello, and welcome to the Major Gifts Fundraiser podcast. I'm Monica Van Deventer. Let me tell you a little bit about the tribe we're building here at Major Gifts Fundraiser. We're working with people like you who want to be among the very best in this field. You want to accomplish great things. You want to challenge yourself. You want to grow, and you are up for going on a journey because you know a journey is what it takes to become the very best version of yourself. You're listening to this podcast because you know that in order to be a great fundraiser, you have to spend time thinking about how you'll be a great fundraiser. You can learn more about our new online training programs at majorgiftsfundraiser.com. And without further ado, here's Clark. Buenos dias, mis amigos. Clark Van Deventer here from Major Gifts Fundraiser. Hope that you are having a great day. All right, as I click record, as I click record on this episode of the podcast, all right, it is Wednesday, Wednesday, May the 19th, and I am in the final countdown, the final countdown. All right, on Friday, on Friday afternoon, I will go pick up my registration packet and on Saturday, all right, this Saturday, I am signed up for an ultra marathon. It is my first ultra marathon in more than three years. What is an ultra marathon? Technically, an ultra marathon is anything that is more than a marathon. So a marathon is 26.2 miles. So an ultra marathon would technically be anything that was 26.3 miles but they, all right they typically start at the 50 kilometer range um anyway all right i'm signed up for a 37 mile run this weekend 37.5 which is about 60 kilometers all right ultra running and endurance athletic quest all right these have taught me so much about well not just about my work but about life um, long-time listeners to the podcast, you may have heard me talk about this in the past. Some of the other quests I have been on, like um, the big one for me, I think the biggest one in my mind because it's the biggest one I ever did. And, and well, it's not the biggest one I ever did. It was the first big one I ever did. It was the first time I ever did anything like this when I rode my bike solo from Stockholm, Sweden to Copenhagen, Denmark, and just having never done anything like that before, right? Like it's, it's hard when we're doing something like that for the first time. I have this big goal to complete a 100 mile run. Um, I feel like I was on track for that. And I completed my longest run ever, a 100-kilometer run. That was 62.2 miles. The day after Thanksgiving 2019, but that was my last ultra marathon. And I feel like I would have done my, my 100-miler in 2020 had 2020 not been 2020. Right? You know what I'm talking about. 2021, I had surgery. I had to work my way back up. So now here we are, like a back, baby, a back, my first ultra marathon in more than three years. All right, what does this have to do with you? You're like, Clark, this is not a running podcast. If endurance events have taught me anything, it is that I can accomplish anything if I will just start and not stop. <laughs> I am not fast, but I can run forever. 
All right, just start and keep going. And that is an important life lesson. And I'm sure I'll have some more little life lessons to share with you. All right, if you want to stay up to date on this, I'll definitely be posting on it from my personal Instagram account. You can find me on the gram at Clark Band. That is Clark Band on the gram. All right, now, if you want a little more um, disciplined message, right? You're like, Clark, like I'll, I'll listen to you, you pontificate about running when you have actually made it about like personal development or fundraising on the Major Gifts Fundraiser <laughs> Instagram. Uh, that is at Major Gifts Fundraiser, just Major Gifts Fundraiser on Instagram. You can find us there. All right. That's a long lead up, Monica. You've been sitting here listening. Monica has to listen to me talk about about running a lot. That's true. I am joined once again by my boss, the CEO of Major Gifts Fundraiser, my wife, Monica Van Deventer. Monica, all right, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. Hey, I just wanted to say, if people listen to the podcast, then uh, peak performance will make more sense. You know, you standing on a mountain, you mm -hmm. in your running clothes, that, yeah. That's right. If you have, maybe some of our listeners out there have enrolled in peak performance fundraising. Um, yes, lots of lots of running and cycling footage in peak performance fundraising. Also, by the way, when we go to conferences, we typically give away a headband, which, what's the headband say, Monica? Level up. Level up. What's the story? Why do we give away a headband with, with this message, level up? Well, just like you were saying, Fundraising is sometimes not glamorous. It's not always flashy. It's about doing those small, slow, monotonous moves over and over and over again that put us in a great position. So we view ourselves as fundraising coaches in the same way that you might have a personal trainer that helps you level up. We level up the fundraising by doing the, the workouts every day. Yeah. And yeah, to become the kind of runner I want to be or cyclist, I have to I have to work at it. Um, to be kind of, to become the kind of fundraiser I want to be, I have to work at it. So I got to put on my headband and put in some sweat if I want to level up. All right. Anyway, um, last episode of the podcast, Monica. All right, we got talking about this process that we go through with clients, which is answering the question, right? Like, what is the problem you exist to solve? That's right. And we also talked about the three circles, the why give, why us, and why now. Really trying to work on getting nonprofits to think about um, how they talk to their donors in a way that makes the best case for them, that their donors understand how important it is, the, pro the big problem that they're really solving, and um, how they are a part of the solution. All right. Now... In this episode, what I want to do is talk about the ideal donor sketch. But we also, in the, just a little bit more on this from the last episode, we talked about four different ways of telling your story that we go through with clients. Mm -hmm. The lenses. Okay. Distinctives, myths, kind of like bridges and aha moments. Anything more on, on these? Well, just that um, sometimes you get stuck in a rut thinking about your mission, thinking about your vision. It's hard to break out of the same language and the same ideas. So using these lenses to think about what you do can help you um, sometimes 
maybe illuminate an area you've been missing or help to tell your story a little bit better or reach people in a new way. So I think spending time thinking about, talking about, brainstorming and, and writing about how are you distinct? What are, you know, just putting it out there. Put, say, this is a myth. People think this hmm. about us, right? Put on your Facebook, put it in an email. People think this about us and it's not true, right? Um, kind of like Bridges, this is, you know, the shortcuts to get to get people to understand what you do and aha moments. Thinking through these lenses may breathe some life and some some just new inspiration into how you tell your story. What do you think is the biggest mistake nonprofits make when they're telling their story? Gosh, I think it really is not thinking big or deep enough thinking that their problem is my budget. Their problem is the pro the reason why we're here is because people need to go to school, you know, not thinking big or deep enough about their, about their vision to inspire donors. And what is the biggest struggle you think the people we work with, just the nonprofit leaders, whether it's the executive director or the development director or the, the board member, what's the biggest pitfall you see them fall into when they're figuring out how to tell their story? Um, honestly, I think that it's probably that they're so inside baseball. They're so in their head and they're so surrounded by everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what's happening and they think that their donors are in the same boat, right? They, it's hard for people to break out of what they know. It's hard for them to say the same thing over and over again because they feel like they've been saying it over and over again. Yeah. Which is, okay, one of my favorite stories to tell, which I'm not going to tell today, but right, like if you find yourself repeating yourself over and over and over again, you're finally doing it right. Yeah. Right. Like we need to say the same thing over and over and over and over again, because I know I've said it a thousand times and maybe the person who's like my coworker has heard me say it a thousand times but our audience has not. Right. Even if you've said it a thousand times, they don't read every email. They don't see every post. They don't open every piece of mail that comes from you. Right. You pour over it. You, you work on every piece, you know, to get it nailed down. And so to you, it feels overwhelming to them. It's the first time they've heard it. All right. Let's talk about the ideal donor sketch. Okay, so yeah, this is this is a great exercise. I think this really does help um, people get out of their out of their own head. So the ideal donor sketch is actually just adapted from the the ideal customer. Um, but the idea is that when you, as an executive director, as a development director, when you're thinking about your messaging, when you're thinking about an appeal letter or a Facebook post or an email, anytime you're you're thinking about making an ask or, or telling your story, you want to have a particular donor in mind. And all of these things perform the best when it's one person writing to another person. So we take clients through a, a process where we invent hmm. and name an ideal donor. And then every time the person whoever's writing, you think about this person and you write to them. Okay. So this is a, I mean, this is a writing trick. Right. That I think 
I mean, what's funny is that I always quote this to clients. I think, like, you think I would look this up. I think it was Hemingway who 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 wrote about this this idea of picturing someone in mind. Years ago, we had a we had I mean we had a, a blog years ago that had nothing to do with fundraising, right? It was all travel and lifestyle design back in those old old blogosphere days. But I I used to often write those a lot of those posts a lot of those posts i wrote on that blog you know all those years ago were, were directed at brian rosner right, right? a friend I, of ours brian was a friend of ours and i was oftentimes just explaining things to brian like i wrote with him in mind right so same same thing with a donor right or with for your organization like who are you who are you appealing to who's the donor that you want to that you want to give to this project instead of writing an appeal, like just imagine, imagine the ideal donor. Like who is it? Picture someone in your mind, someone in your community. Right. Okay. The so there's a little them. bit, there's so a couple things. This is called the ideal donor okay. exercise. Okay. So um, this is something that organizations get confused on sometimes. Sometimes they're like, they'll say, well, I have a lot of different donors. Right. And they'll get they'll start writing. Um, they'll start off by writing to one type and then they'll switch to a different type. OK, this you want to you want to create a, a hypothetical ideal donor and write to that person, because as you write to your ideal donor, you will attract more ideal donors. Right. The people who will resonate with your message will be closer to your ideal donor. Right. So if you if you start writing to somebody who's never going to be a big giver, you just always assume that nobody has money to give. Right. You're going to attract that type of person. So as an organization, I and this is something we've dealt with recently where you really have to decide and figure out who do you want to be. Right. As an organization. Right. And so. Sometimes I think the mistake organizations make is they think they have one mission, but there's not enough people who will support that mission. Right. And so they have to they have to tell a story that more people will give to. And but when they are telling that story, they're no longer writing to their ideal donor. They're writing yes. to someone else. Right. And and honestly, uh, quite honestly, that broader group as you if you feel like you need to broaden your audience um, away from your minimum viable minimum right. viable audience you you get into such a generic sphere that that space is so crowded already it's going to be hard to break in it's going to be hard to attract it's going to be hard to attract those donors from that broader space you're better off going deep with the smaller people who are sold out for your mission than trying to. Uh, all right. So Seth Godin has written a lot on this. So listeners to the podcast, if you're not familiar with Seth Godin, you should be. I think his biggest book was The Purple Cow. And he definitely writes about this in Purple Cow. But he's Purple Cow is a little bit older. There's lots of other great stuff. But he talks about how there's. it's never been We've never lived in a time in history where it's been easier to attract our minimum viable audience. Right. And minimum viable audience would be the absolute minimum number of people that you need to sustain your organization. 
and and actually figuring that out is a fun practice, a fun little exercise to go through. Um, you know, not thinking about your best possible, <laughs> you know, financial scenario, but what is the absolute bare minimum? How many people would we actually need to stay afloat? So I I think a big mistake that nonprofits make or a pitfall they fall into is actually selling themselves short. It's it's believing that there's not enough people out there who who are like them. There's mm-hmm. not enough people who who will support their real mission. It's that self-doubt, it's that mm-hmm. I don't know fear or insecurity and I find that we are constantly encouraging clients to be proud of who they are mm-hmm. and to champion who they are mm-hmm. and to to just shout from the roots rooftops this is who we are this is what we stand for this is where we're going and attract people to them who believe those things yeah absolutely and and we've seen that work you know we've we've seen people embrace that and their their true fans come out of the woodwork you know they they find their more than minimum viable audience. Okay, so let's say that an organization has gone through all of the just the emotional pain of of am I okay with who I am and what we stand right. for and and am I ready to declare this to the world? And now I'm going to put forward my true message out there and see how do I attract people to me who believe these things. Talk about the ideal donor sketch in that context. Okay. So there's sort of five steps. Okay. You want to actually, okay. So think about, and there may be a few uh, ideal donors, right? So just take one segment. Okay. The first one and think about this person. So it could be somebody, you know, It could be somebody completely imaginary, but you want to picture them in as much detail as possible, including their appearance, personality, behavior. It's like it's likely there'll be more than one, but just do just do one at a time. Then you want to go to kind of their um, uh, qualities and attributes. Right. So are they compassionate? Are they generous? Are they empathetic? Are they an animal lover? Are they you know, are they a particular religious affiliation? Are they, you know, as many qualities and characteristics about them as you, as you can put down again, don't think about possible acceptable. This is the ideal, right? It's not like if, you know, yeah, uh, sure. They could be this, but they could also be that, right? You want to focus on the ideal. Right. So our, our, let's just get specific. Okay. Um, and for us, it's, there, there's always, hey, listeners, like there's always this moment, like how much do we share about clients and like things that uh, that that our clients have wrestled through? And I think we can we can definitely talk about Cultiva in Guatemala, mm-hmm. right? And so, listeners to the podcast probably know that we've, if you're a long term listener, you know that we lived in Guatemala. We did a lot of work with a humanitarian organization in Guatemala. I think that. It, an ideal donor for Cultiva was interested in humanitarian work, mm-hmm. right? And they were also um, willing to travel mm-hmm. to Guatemala, right? right? Because there was there's only so far you can go with somebody who's not willing to go to Guatemala right. to see the work, yeah, absolutely. right? And so, could could you be a good donor to Cultiva and and never? 
and never go to Guatemala. Yeah, they had them. Sure, right? right? But that that wasn't our ideal donor because right. we knew there was only so far we could go with someone right. who wasn't willing to come. And the best donors did come. Yes, and and again, this goes back to the donor evaluation worksheet, right? Right. So again, the do the donor evaluation worksheet and ranking our donors based upon their cultivatable interest, financial capacity, and philanthropic disposition. So, so somebody uh, with very high financial capacity may be a great donor, even though they never come to Guatemala, right? right? Because sure. their their financial capacity uh, overcompensates for sure. their for our inability to go that far with them because they'll never come to Guatemala. But Right. But again, ideal. Ideal. Ideally, they would come. Right. And ideally, they would. Yeah, right. So and there's something about that donor. Also, the, the fact that they're willing to come to Guatemala says something about their their values. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're willing to travel, but not just travel to Maui. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So once you've really like honed in on this person, this, this, uh, hypothetical donor, you know, I, I think you should even give them a name. It should be, you know, it should be Jeff Smith. Okay. And, and when you're talking with your team, when you're talking, when you're in meetings, when you're discussing things, say, would Jeff Smith like this? Would Jeff Smith respond to this? Would, you know, would Jeff Smith, Jeff Smith, everybody's going to know who could, this is and what you mean. Could this be an actual human being, a real person that is on your list? I think it's better to have this be a made up person um, for, for a lot of reasons. But I think you could start with a person, but mm -hmm. I think you should make them more ideal. Right. I don't think there's any one person on anybody's list that is the ideal. So donor. you also said there's more than one ideal donor. Sure. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have segments, right? Maybe, you know, maybe people are, um, maybe you know, one type of ideal donor is somebody who's going to leave you a big estate gift, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe a, a different ideal donor would be, you know, somebody who's, if you're a college or university whose, you know, child is coming, right? There's different life phases, just different categories of people that could still be an ideal donor, but it's hard to mesh them into and, one person. And so if you have, let's say you have three ideal donors, you, if you track this, you could start to understand where different donors fit. Sure. Right. Like this is a, this is a, this donor always gives to Jim Smith appeals. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Just like we've talked in the past about how we have the four different listening preferences, mm -hmm. right? So we have content uh, oriented listeners, time oriented listeners. I'm, I'm using, I'm saying these in the office of order. I usually say I know. people, all right. <laughs> <laughs> people, action, content, time, the four different listening mm -hmm. preferences. And if I write a people-oriented appeal, I will get people to give to that appeal who are people-oriented listeners, sure. right? Yeah. And so, uh, and then I, I, we can fool ourselves and think that this is the kind of a kind of appeal that people respond to. When in fact, no, the the kind of people who respond to people-oriented appeals are people-oriented listeners, sure. right? Yeah. So it's just another way you could slice your list if you're really into data. Um, 
and, and analysis and all of that, but you don't have to. Um, I think even just having one ideal donor as a start is fantastic. It's, it's 900% more than most organizations do in the first place. I think it put you way ahead of the curve. The last thing though, that I don't want to leave out is once you do this and once you write it, I want you to read whatever it is you wrote, pretending you're that person. Okay. Read it as if you're, as if you're Linda Martin. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Linda Martin is a, is a 75 year old, you know, widowed woman, um, who's never, you know, whatever, whatever the, the case is and think through how would she, ex how, what would she think about this? Would this be what she wants to hear? Would this be what matters to her, right? Put yourself in that donor's shoes and read your appeals as that person okay. and see if that doesn't make it better. What's the biggest mistake you think nonprofits make when picturing their ideal donor? I don't know. I think I know. Okay. <laughs> I asked you a question. I thought I knew the answer to, because it's the thing that frustrates me all the time on, on calls with clients when we're going through this process. And that is that they, they overthink, they, they try to say, well, don't, don't major donors want this. Don't major donors want that. And instead of, yeah, they. I, I think they overthink it. You know what I'm right. You've seen they, they kind of overhandle them. Yeah, it's like, oh, I couldn't say this because then they'll take it this way. It's like they're trying to play chess with the donors instead of just treating them like real people, which is like friends. Right. One of my partners. biggest things always with with um, clients when I'm doing coaching calls, right, where a donor or a, a fundraiser presents a scenario to me, and they're like. You know, they, they lay out. What all, should I do? Right, they, they, I have this big problem. Right. They lay out this huge backstory and then they're like, what should I do next? And I just say, well, what would you do if it was your friend? And they almost immediately know what they would do if right. it was their friend. And, and I'm like, well, why don't you do that? Right. Uh, right. Like we handle our donors. Like we think they're fragile and we're going to break them. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. Uh, just handle them like real people because they are. <laughs> Uh, before the call, before we the call, before we we click record, uh, you said that. Um, well, I really want to talk about how this process helps fundraisers get out of writing um, appeals that are fundraising based appeals. Right. So that's the reading part, I think, where that really comes in. Right. Like fundraising based appeals are 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 not going to perform for you. Right. This is saying like. We need to raise $30,000 because we have a 30, you know, <laughs> we have a goal to raise $30,000. Well, you know what? Uh, Linda does not care that you have a goal to raise $30,000, right? Or, you know, Jeff, what did I, what was his last name? Jeff Smith. I don't know. <laughs> Our other ideal donor. He doesn't care that it's, you know, your anniversary year, right? Right. Donors care about your why. I think we talked about this in the last episode of the podcast. People mistake the forcing function. People mistake the urgency for the appeal and think that that's their case. Yes. So I'm, if you think of your ideal donor, if you write to them and you read it as them, it'll help you not 
stay focused on the fundraising, the fundraising appeal as the why. Yeah, the, the case. The fundraising appeal is is yes, yeah, the forcing function. It's not the case. Right. Giving Tuesday is the forcing function. It's not the case. End of year is the forcing function. It's not the case. Right. People should give because you're changing the world. You're making a difference. You're saving lives. Right. This is what people want to give to. They might give right now because it's Giving Tuesday, but first you have to tell them why. All right. Anything else, Monica? Reach out to us if you want help doing this stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, Monica and I are a great team because we look at the world in different ways. Uh, and getting back to that, that people content action time, right? She's very much a content person. I'm very much a people person. She's an engineer. I'm a, I'm an artist. You're a free thinker. I'm a free thinker. Yes. Uh, I'm a runner. She's a gardener. We could go on. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, you can reach out to me, Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. You can probably figure out Monica's email based on that. Monica at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. All right. That's it. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. All right. Monica here again. If you like what you heard on this podcast, you'll love our online training programs. You can complete our online training programs at your own pace and you can watch or listen to them from any device. And unlike that last conference you attended, the challenge questions and action steps that come with each of our modules will give you concrete things you can do today to level up as a fundraiser. You'll raise more money than ever before by developing deeper donor relationships than you ever thought possible. So head over to majorguestfundraiser.com to buy now. Thanks for listening.